Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Getting to Better Together, the podcast series that we're running here from the University of the Sunshine Coast through the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership. And before I go any further, I would like to acknowledge the original custodians of this land, the Gubby Gubby people, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Up to this point uh, in this series, we've we've tended to focus on the um, the large global pictures, the uh, underlying themes, I guess, of getting to better together. We've looked at briefly at Aboriginality. We've discussed worldviews. We've discussed the relationships between activist groups and and local councils. We've looked at the world of commerce and business, and uh, most recently, the idea of thinking about the future and learning from it. Well, today, it's um, my very great pleasure to talk with Amber Scott. Amber is involved in an extraordinarily rich project, uh, and I'm going to ask her where that is in just a moment. But the the theme uh, of this particular episode will move from the global to the local, but within a global context. So this is a perfect example of global, and it's a, it really is a wonderful example of getting to better together. So let me welcome Amber. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Let me, uh, let me start off by asking you exactly where the uh, Mary Valley is and the Kandanga. So Kandanga is in the Mary Valley, and the Mary Valley is about two hours north of Brisbane, most people know where Noosa is, so we're directly west of there by about um, 50 to 60 kilometres. So the Sunshine Coast hinterland. So it's sort of subish tropical? Yes, subtropical, definitely. And you, uh, you have, um, as, as I understand it, four major enterprises or areas of interest. Uh, the farm itself, the store, the kitchen and the courses that you run. And I, I love your three mantras uh, and I want to ask you to expand on those. The first is we believe in good food. We believe in farmers and we believe in you. Say more about those. Okay, so yes, what you said is correct. We have um, the Kananga Farm store at Kananga and it started as a traditional rural supply store selling things like um, polypipe fittings, fencing gear, all that type of thing. Because we uh, have a very fundamental belief in um, agriculture, because we believe that it underpins all of civilization, we don't get to have... Um, theologians and philosophers and artists and, and sculptors if uh, they are scrabbling around looking for food to eat. So uh, agriculture can underpin uh, the development of culture. It's very, very important. And so that's why we believe um, in food because that's what um, comes from agricultural production. And then we believe in the farmers. They're the people that produce food. And uh, I think we've really become totally disconnected from food itself and, and where it comes from and the people who produce it. And, and I think when I talk to farmers, they feel sometimes that they're the bad guy and that somehow they're considered to be environmental vandals. And sometimes I think they're disconnected also from what they're producing as well. And so they don't think in the effort to grow more and to be more profitable or to just to survive, um, they lose connection with what they're doing, which is, is nourishing people. Everything that we're doing is about stepping back to what's fundamental in that food it nourishes people so we've got to concentrate on what do we need to do to nourish people and then what do we do to nourish the people who are nourishing us which is the farmers and then the the third step or the third part of that picture then is obviously the consumer the person that's eating that food Um, again because of agriculture you can have people who don't actually um, have to make their living directly 
by producing what they're going to eat, but they should be absolutely, totally um, part of the process of food. And we're the only species that doesn't spend all of their time thinking about where their next meal is coming from. If you look at any of nature documentary, that's what it's about. Um, It's basically either mating or eating <laughs> or defending <laughs> oneself. And for most of us, that's, we don't even think, of, we don't have a second thought about it. And I think that's wrong. I think we should be thinking about our food and, and it does underpins how we feel. It underpins our health. It um, underpins families when we come together to eat. It underpins communities where, again, we, we are brought together by the production of food or value adding to food or eating food together. All, all celebrations are, are based around food, really, and there's a reason for that. It's so important. You stress good food. Tell us a little bit more about what you understand as good food. So there's plenty of literature out there. You can do a Google search that shows you how the uh, food we eat today, the nutritional uh, value of it is less than what it was 50 years, 100 years ago. And that's in a large part due to the way that we produce food. And I went to uni, I did agribusiness. Um, everything's about economies of scale, getting bigger, reducing your costs, increasing your revenue. It's, not, it's never about, we never learned anything about flavour or about nutritional content. It was basically about the business of food and making as much as you can for as little input required. And that's not what it, food should be. Food is about... Um, Again, coming back to nourishing people, and it might not be the biggest and the most good-looking and the most the, the quickest way to turn over your produce. Uh, it's about nutrient density, and there's not really any way to cheat that. It's uh, from since time began, nature has processes, and when we try and cheat them or supersede them or make them better, then usually something suffers, and that's the quality of the food that we're eating. We, uh, we hear a lot and uh, see a lot when we go to the supermarket about organic food and uh, how good that is for us. Can you say a little bit more about what you understand as organic and why it is good for us? We're certified organic, so I do believe in it. It's a word with a lot of uh, levels and marketing sort of tied into it now. Organic, in its truest sense, means produced without any synthetic chemicals and something that comes of the earth. Um, so that's its truest form. But if you see organic produce in the supermarket, it doesn't, I would always choose to buy it. Well, actually go back a step. I probably wouldn't be buying it from the supermarket, but I would choose to buy organic over conventional, but just because something's grown organically doesn't mean it's actually being grown in a way where it has that nutrient density. Because again, if you're looking at, um, farmers trying to make an income and what they the way that they're paid is by the kilos that they produce the quicker they can produce the kilos and the more kilos they can produce obviously the more profitable they are and that's not necessary that's there's a disconnect there and and that's one of the little projects we're trying to uh, get off the ground and we're looking for people who have far more experience with us is how we change the system so that we we pay for food based on nutritional content or nutrient density rather than kilos because that would change agriculture and by, by nutrient density, you mean the, the essentially the quality of the food in any given weight, presumably. Yeah, yes, that's right. And it's really, uh, when you start looking into it, it's a really difficult um, thing to define because is the, the nutrient density of an apple, is what makes it a nutrient-dense uh, product, is that the same as what it would be in meat or in flour? I don't even know what the parameters are that we need to measure to be able to work it out, but... Um, I'm, I'm sure it's possible. Everything's possible. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great uh, concept, isn't it? The, the notion that in a small bite you can get a damn sight more good than you would 
in any other form. I think like a really good example of that that most people can understand is you talk about the, the hot box chicken at the supermarket and it will cost you say 11 or $12 to buy that chicken. And like I've got a husband and two kids and what, my husband could eat that chicken by itself and knock it off and probably still look for something else after. If we buy one of the um, pasture-raised chickens from um, one of the, the farmers here in the valley, that chicken will, will feed all four of us, plus have enough for stock, plus probably sandwiches for the next day. And it's a smaller bird than probably what you're getting from the, from the supermarket. And it's to do with this density of actual nutrition in that, that bird. And the flavour is ridiculous. It's, it's so much better. It doesn't need to be added to with flavours and colours and all those things. That's a, that's a wonderful example. You yourselves are farmers, of course. So, yeah, I, I'm actually from the city originally. I grew up in Brisbane. Always, uh, from a very early age, have, have realised the connection between how I feel and what I eat. So food's always been a, a, a um, big part of my life and planning my next meal. Um, right. I married a country boy uh, from Western Queensland and he grew up on a beef property. And now here we are in the, in the Mary Valley and we've, we're um, beef producers and we are certified organic, 100% grass-fed. And when we first came to the valley about 14 years ago and we wanted to um, be in beef and to um, be organic, I went to basically every advisor, every rural store in the area and they said, you, you're kidding yourself. If you want to be organic, you need to move, move west of the tick line because there's too many parasites in this area. It's impossible. Um, and so that is the, the definite um, view by pretty much everyone here in the valley that it's impossible to be organic for livestock production in this area because of parasites. Right. So we went, down, um, we, de- we went down the chemical route for a while. I wouldn't have anything to do with the cattle. It was when we were just starting to have a family. I didn't want my children around them. It was ridiculous. I didn't want to eat our own meat. And eventually I said to my husband, you know, if we can't do this organically, let's just get out and buy from someone who can and uh, not to be put off. He said, right, well, let's work it out. And so it's taken us about 10 years, um, wow. but he, we've worked it out and, and now, yeah, we're certified organic. And so, yeah, that, that question of what is organic, it isn't just the absence of chemicals. There's so much more to it. Um, but from a marketing point of view and from a consumer perspective, I think it's, it's worthwhile having trust in that organic logo because it does mean the absence of, but on the farm itself, uh, there's, there's so many levels of organic production that um, really it comes down to knowing where your food comes from and trying to engage with the producer and knowing the provenance of your food. All those things are so important. And that's what we do a lot in the store is whatever we serve in our cafe, we link it back to the person who produced that food. So consumers can know who they are. They can say, John grew these avocados, Amber and Tim produce this beef. So you briefly mentioned the, the store there, Amber. Tell us a bit more about that. Mm, well, we started in rural supplies um, and the same thing uh, when we first started. Go back a step. The whole Mary Valley was going to get dammed um, back in the early 2000s. It was announced uh, that the Mary Valley would become the Traveston Dam. Um, there was a massive uh, fight by the community and eventually it was overturned. But by that time, the government had actually bought a lot of the land um, in the valley and so a lot of the farming that was happening here those people left it was a really bad time from a community point of view everything uh people left jobs were stopped the houses went to rack and ruin there was a lot of crime all those sorts of things over time um properties got put onto the market and were um then people new people came in 
It's a fascinating social experiment, really, because it's very, very rare that you get a community with such upheaval where so many people leave and then so many new Absolutely. people come in. Yeah. So we started uh, the store sort of at the end of the, that dam period and, what, and the block that we got was actually a dam block. And mm. in the first probably six months after we started, for every five people that came in, two were looking for a job and two were looking for a poison to kill something. And only one sort of person wanted to buy something. And... <laughs> When I think back on that now, I think that it, that is just it, it is the it shows exactly what a broken community we were in, what a broken system um, that was based on sort of lack and and um, fear and death and all those things. And so, again, we, when we first started, all the business advisors that I talked to said, "Don't be ridiculous," because I said about wanting to do organic and regenerative focused things, and they said, "No, that's the money's in the chemicals," and they were right. The, the rural store exists to because it sells to farmers and so the more that farmers need the more inputs they need the better the store does but that's actually not a very sustainable healthy system really farms should be self-sustaining in my view so it's pretty crazy for me to go into a rural store when I'm really my 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 reason for being is to make myself redundant but we went down the track again eventually we said no we're going to get out of all chemicals we're going to focus on uh, regenerative and organic solutions which basically reduces your store income by 50 to 75 percent because that's what mm-hmm. a store normally sells in, in chemical so we had to think very very differently to have a viable business and so that's when we um, sort of hand in hand we realized that there was an opportunity for telling a story of local producers um, for having more lifestyle things to engage in consumers. And so that's how the, the, the farm store sort of image was born, as well as having a cafe there that focuses on local food and telling the story. Um, at the very start, we opened that kitchen up for uh, other producers who wanted to do value addings to try and capture more of the retail dollar. We've grown so much now that we actually don't have space for people to do it during the week. Um, wow. So they have to come after hours if they want to use the kitchen. Um, again, then we could sell the things that they are producing, whether it's jams or um, chutneys, and we could sell that through the store um, and tell that story. And again, we don't want to, we don't want everything to be ours. We love uh, supporting other local small businesses and building that community. And running a cafe was sort of, I've always wanted to be in food, but it wasn't really my agenda. But we realised there's not because of the whole damn thing. So many businesses left. There, there's not that much business in the valley. And we believe the community really needs that sort of hub, that focal point, somewhere to come. Um, so we try to be that for people as well. That actually puts a nice, uh, a nice little turn to the phrase, this damn thing, doesn't it? When you sort of set out to work with the community, how did, how did you do that? Did you do it one-on-one or did you hold little focus groups or the store become a sort of centre of conversation? It's a really tricky one because, again, our view about the regenerative organic, and as I said before, you know, we're the, we're the exception, we're not the norm. And so we've actually copped a fair bit of uh, criticism and being called va- environmental vandals, naive, um, all of those things. So if we gave more, well, this is at the risk of um, offending more people, if we... If we if we went in and gave people what they wanted, I think we wouldn't be doing what we believe needs to happen. So we've kind of pushed our own agenda because we genuinely believe that that is um, the future of the world and the future of agriculture. 
And in so doing, I, we have attracted people from across Australia, not just locally. Uh, and, and within the community, there, especially the new people that have come in who don't have any background in ag but want to get in there, we've attracted them. And so we, we talk to them about what they want. And one of the beautiful things about what we do is that because I get to talk to so many people, I can help them make connections with each other. So one person will come in with an issue and someone else will come in and, and I'll talk to them and I'll realise, oh, they, these two should talk. And then they do talk and little kind of micro businesses and things have, have popped up out of that, which is pretty fantastic. It's like this beautiful web um, that becomes the basis of a very resilient community. We had Cathy uh, McGowan on recently, uh, who was the independent member for Indy, who herself is a farmer. Uh, and she was talking about how politics could be dramatically changed by people who in the community felt they had a larger voice, as it were. And I think what you're doing actually does precisely that. It gives a whole lot of people a voice in a new, fresh context, which itself is challenging. Uh, you mentioned the word sustainability, for instance, and sustainability uh, is even more slippery than organic, isn't it? So that when people say, what do you mean by sustainable farming? The answer is more difficult even than saying, well, this is what we're doing organically. Absolutely. And as it's often pointed out, if we kept going the way we are right now, which is sustainable, that's actually not great. And so the new word is regenerative, um, which I love. I think it's a great word, but it is also becoming uh, used for marketing and for greenwashing. And, and there is no standard of regenerative. So anyone can say that they're regenerative without any kind of justification of what that means. So that's dangerous as well. And the only way around it, again, is by people taking an active interest in where their food is coming from and getting to know the people that produce it. And small-scale producers, we're just so perfectly placed for that, especially here. We're so close to the Sunshine Coast, so close to Brisbane. I mean, we should be telling that story. It's much harder for our um, bigger producers in the further away from the cities and the, um, the high-population areas to do that. Amber, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'd like at some stage to come back again in the future and talk more about... Um what it is you're doing. In the meantime, can you give us some indication of how people can contact uh, you? You have a website, right? Yeah, our website's kandangafarmstore.com.au and we're also Facebook and Instagram with that same name. Uh, just out of interest, I come from uh, a farm which was considered to be regenerative um, because uh, I was born actually before the Second World War and we had no chemicals. There were no chemicals around. And uh, so, and I was educated in agricultural science and through my education, I could see the farm from which I came being destroyed by all the things you've been talking about, that we had to become more intensive and so on. Uh, and so I've been uh, grappling with this now for eight decades of how you actually bring these these conflicting uh, issues together. Yeah, number one is people have got to start caring where their food comes from. Yes, you're right. I agree with you. That's the start of it all. I'll just add quickly if we've got time. My daughter and I have been watching this fascinating show on um, YouTube called Absolute History. And it talks about, it's, it's from Britain, and it talks about uh, like the Edwardian era, era and then the Victorian era and like, even the 1950s and all these new inventions and things and developments that were happening then, how deadly and dangerous they were, but people adopted them because they were so excited because it was going to be time-saving, you know, these wondrous things. And, the, for example, electricity was one and how you used to be able to plug all your appliances into the light socket because that's where it all came in, just as raw power. There's no safety mechanisms or anything. And we look back on that now and go, that's insane. 
I think that's what's happening now with our um, industrial ag and chemicals, which, again, are promoted as labour-saving silver bullet solutions. It's not going to be very long, hopefully, until we look back and go, what were we thinking? That's just madness. It's certainly... The, the change is in the air. I know uh, Charles Massey, um, who uh, wrote that wonderful book on regenerative agriculture, who uh, we will also be interviewing very shortly. Amber, thanks so much. It's... Um, been terrific talking with you you're a very busy woman and uh, i really, really appreciate the time you've taken thank you so much thanks so much for asking me i'm very chuffed bye bye